Welcome to Things That Will Help with Buffy Barfoot. This podcast explores what it's like to be human and how to find tools to feel clear, grounded, and happier. The weekly theme will be simple as well as rich and something you can apply to your real life. The human stories ahead do not negate the hard or the dark, but rather point to the lighthouses along the way. This is Buffy. Hey, everybody. On March 2nd, I decided to take a break from social media that coincided with a break from recording the podcast. And I was feeling depleted and needed to spend some time in a self-care space instead of online and rushing around to produce. And so I put up a note about that on Facebook and Instagram, basically just claiming a little bit of space for myself. And a day after I posted that note, but before I deleted the social media apps from my phone, I got a message from my friend Karen. She had seen my note and and was a little worried about me and wondered if I needed to talk. And in this message, she sent her new number. um, And she also sent a few book recommendations and her well wishes. And I jotted down the number and then I closed the accounts. And so I put it on my list of things to do when I reemerged to call her because reconnecting with Karen was something I was really looking forward to, but wanted to do it when I was replenished a little more. And so a couple of weeks went by and one night the kids had just been super crazy and wild and I was fried And Matt and I had been kind of sharp with each other about something that I can't even remember now. And so I got the kids into bed and I was going to take a a hot bath and call Karen. And I looked around um, my desk, but I couldn't find where I'd written her number down. So I logged into Facebook to look at her message and to get the number from there. And so I, I copied down the number and then I went to her page for some reason And I noticed something weird right away. Her husband, Ben, had posted several times from her page. It said, you know, like, this is Ben, Karen's husband. And then there were things written below that. And so I scrolled down to the first post that he had done that and started reading. And I just um, crumpled to the floor when I was reading his note Karen had just moved to Portland um, because her mother was sick and needed her help. And she bought a house across the street from the assisted living facility that her mother was, was in, was staying in. And Karen was super excited to be able to spend time with her mother and support her. And her husband, Ben, was coming to join them in a few weeks from Australia. And Karen had been walking across the street with her mother in Portland, and they had both been struck by a car. Her mother was slightly injured, um, but was stable and was going to be fine. And Karen was killed instantly. Um, Karen was killed on, on the night of March 4th, and she had sent me a message on March 3rd. And I was just in, in shock. I just sat on my floor in disbelief. And right about that time, 
um, Matt came into the room when I was sitting on the floor with this fresh news and, and I told him about it and he was very quiet. And, and I said, you know, we've got to drop this tension, this little petty fight that we're having. Um, and so we both agreed to just let it go. And I, I just kept thinking about Karen in the middle of the road, in the middle of this gorgeous, robust life at the start of this new journey. And as I was thinking about that and thinking about her, everything on my to-do list just seemed to kind of evaporate and not feel essential. Karen was an artist. She was this exquisite painter and she was living and always lived in a way that was authentic and vibrant and true with essential emphasis on what mattered to her. She was a true artist in every sense. And I I think now, I know now that her work is continuing because my awareness and my life is changing and has changed because of the tragedy that occurred. And she's still giving life to transformation now in the hearts of so many of her people. She's pointing to what I need to place emphasis on and what's essential. And I remember Benjamin, my brother, did that too when he died suddenly, very young. His circumstances pointed me to gathering more potency in my life. And it's, you know, it's bittersweet collections when we learn that way um, through loss, but it's still learning nonetheless. And so this word that keeps coming up for me since Karen a few weeks ago um, is to relish this, to relish today. And I wonder, why does it take things like this to make us recognize what matters and what doesn't? Why does it take a gorgeous life like this, interrupted, to make us stop swirling in things that are not potent and are not life-giving. The day that I learned um, about Karen, the next day, Erica, my, my dear friend Erica called, and there was another boulder fire. And she and her fiancé, Megan, were being evacuated. And they also ha- happened to have family in town, cousins in town, And she wanted to know if they could come stay. And yes, of course, bring everybody, come stay anytime and all the time that you need. And so they came and they piled into our home and E had this small container of her mother's jewels and, and they, they hadn't had a lot of time or room in the car to decide. They had just kind of grabbed a couple of things. She didn't have underwear. She didn't have toothpaste. She had this container of her mother's jewels and one crystal decanter her her grandfather had rescued from the war. And um, once the kids were in bed, we talked late into the night, you know, wondering about if and when the wind would shift and, and jump backs. And the term was new to me. Next time they were going to think through their jump back. And so I started to think, what would I put in my jump bag? Probably a few letters, um, a book or two, a few pieces of jewelry, 
my Vitamix, <laughs> um, some boots, because you can't replace the time it takes to wear them in for years and years and walks and scuffs and things that make them buttery and good. So definitely some boots. But then I started thinking, of course, in metaphor, as I usually do after a while, what would be in my jump bag spiritually and emotionally and who would make the cut? And these petty fights, these little gnawing kind of irritations, they would not. Um, they would not make the cut. And the shame that I've carried for years, the stories of lack and rank and all that, that stuff that we know, we know all of that dissolves with death. So why do we hold on to it in life? Why don't we deliberately dissolve it before there is a death, before there is a fire? And why do we wait until things are dire? And of course, you know, I wondered, what if I had called her back? What if I had called Karen back earlier? What if I had called her on the day she died, at the time she died, instead of her crossing the road? And I've dreamt about that. And of, of course, I know no one could have known. And um, But here I am, astounded at what happened, with the only gift that comes from that kind of loss and that gift is a chance to re-examine what matters, a chance to relish what I have now and not what I hope I will have one day. Otis, last Saturday, he woke up in the middle of the night and he was just screaming with ear pain. Um, and I took him to urgent care and, and she confirmed that it was an ear infection and she was like, it's, it's pretty bad. It's likely to rupture. And so we gave him Tylenol and antibiotics. And within a, within a few hours, it had calmed down completely. And he was playing and he was immersed in his world as usual. But I was still reverberating um, from holding him in my lap at urgent care while he wailed and sobbed and screamed. And it was awful. And so I kept stopping his day. And coming up to him and stroking, stroking him and asking if he was okay. And, you know, he would just shrug me off. I'm fine. I'm good. It's over. I'm better. And he was just in a new day. And just very cleanly out of that story. Even though it had been really dramatic at the time. And that's what we do. Most of us as adults, we stroke stories, we retell stories, we carry with us the drama and the imprint and the pain points, and we inlay those into the present tense, even when that's no longer what's actually happening. And the, the, these children, they don't. They are, they are beautifully immersed in the sensation of right now. They are relishing. Um, over the years, I have taken a lot of master classes with different dance teachers and different artists, probably hundreds if I counted them all together. And I couldn't tell you what we did, what we danced in any of them. I don't have a memory of the choreography or the specifics of of any of these master class, 
classes that I've taken, but I have this this memory of of taking a class with a teacher in Illinois when I was in graduate school, and I I don't even remember her name, but she was teaching us a section of a of a dance that she had made, and it was a big class of a lot of students, and she was articulating this gestural and very specific choreography. And then kind of out of nowhere, she stopped. And we all stopped. And everyone was watching her, kind of waiting to see what she's going to do. And there was silence. And it was kind of awkward. And there was stillness. And then she started tapping on her chest. For a couple of minutes, she kind of seemed to go somewhere else. And she didn't seem to be bothered by by all of these dancers waiting for her and watching her. And she lightly tapped on her chest for some time, and then she moved the tapping up to her forehead. And after a few moments, or a few minutes, um, she opened opened her eyes, and she, she didn't apologize, and she smiled. And she looked at us, and she said, I felt nervous and a little disoriented, and so I just needed to stop and regulate my system, and now I can continue. And it made this really big impact on me, that moment. And I don't know if I thought about it at the time, but now I recognize that that was a moment of mastery, not the other stuff. I mean, the dance, that was fine, but that wherewithal, that presence, that unapologetic ability to inhabit her body and her needs in that way and to stop the urgency and the expectation of what was happening in the outer world and to be able to do what was essential to her well-being. And then just to let go of the story around that and to simply continue on. It was one of those moments that I just I just never forgot. It was a very high teaching for me on the idea of presence and vulnerability and inhabiting fully your own experience and trusting that, that you can take the time to do that. And some things can't really be hurried or shouldn't be hurried. And the wisdom that comes from the elimination of the destination. And it was, it was really important. I wish I remembered her name so I could share this episode with her and thank her for the mark that she left on me to, to relish, to stop and be able to relish where you are and attend to that and let nothing else get in the way of that. So to return to this idea of a jump bag what do you really want? What do you really need? How can you attend to this moment? And maybe we can just begin to let go of having to arrive. Maybe we can let go of having to label and having to categorize into things that are black and white, things that are successful or good or complete or appropriate and just continue to wash out this idea, this requirement of a destination in order to feel like we're having a good life. We have to arrive somewhere. And instead, allow ourselves to be interrupted and to 
let those places be recognized as the places of potency and not have the potency be out there somewhere where we think we should be headed. I have to tell you, um, my daughter, Coretta, who's now two and a half, she's just all fire and a little bit of sugar sometimes. (laughs) Um, But she will not walk down or up the stairs without holding your hand. You have to be with her the whole time. Um, And on the way up or down, it takes forever, for freaking ever. She, She bends down and she touches the carpet on the stair and then she'll take one step and then decide to go back up to the top. Um, sometimes she wants to go backwards or she might find a, like a tiny little piece of a paper or a little, you know, piece of dirt on the stairs and bend down and pick it up and then she'll drop it and pick it up again and need to have a whole conversation about the tiny little piece of paper. Um, and then she might decide she wants to hold a different one of your hands or she'll get halfway down the stairs and take her shoes off and then go at another stair or two and then decide she wants to put her shoes back on. <laughs> so um, in all seriousness, it takes a good, a good 10 minutes or more to walk down or up one flight of stairs. And whatever is at the top or the bottom of that stair journey has to take second place. It's what she kind of requires. And as impatient as I sometimes feel inside, I know that the potency of this lies in the journey of the stairs and the learning and the the non-linear spaces that she continues to take, take me to. And when I allow myself to soften, there's so much beauty when I stop trying to require that we get somewhere, that life be linear. I have so much to learn here. You know, both of my kids are really teaching me how to relish. Um, and I'm, I'm realizing that in order to really relish something, there has to just also be this periphery release of the stuff that that just doesn't matter. Um, so in order to really be in the, the marrow, in the sweetness, in the center, all this other stuff has to fall away. I'll tell you something else I'm doing um, is I'm looking at all the clothes in my closet, like the ones that don't fit, um, the ones I was keeping in case they fit one day, and just making a pile to give those away. All the clothes that that have something that hurts or pinches when I wear it. So I never wear it, but it still hangs in my closet because it was expensive or what have you or sentimental. I, I'm giving those away too. Um, I, put, uh, I put in a bag all the shoes that are really cute, but they hurt. So I never wear them. I put those in a bag to give away. Things like that. I'm starting to... Um, really recognize that they don't make the cut and that they actually kind of distract from relishing um, the things that need to be in the center. Another thing I've been thinking about is this guilt that I think so many of us um, 
certainly me, have around guilt around productivity and reaching a destination in terms of like a job or a title, I want to give that away too. And, you know, something I told you about the night that I found out about Karen, this idea of right fighting and kind of um, just these little gnawing irritations that you end up having with people that you love there's just no more time for that kind of nonsense. And for me, one of the the bittersweet gifts that have come from learning about Karen and knowing about this tragedy is more grace has flooded in and just made all of that little stuff fall away. The The morning after Otis's ear screaming incident, he woke me up early and he just tapped me on the cheek And I hadn't slept well because I had been worried about him and I kept going into his room to check on him, but he was, he had slept fine. And so he tapped me early in the morning on my cheek and I was so tired. And he said, mama, wake up. I want to show you the sunrise. Well, I mean, who's going to say no to that? (laughs) And so I stumbled out of bed and I put on my glasses and he said, hurry, the sky is changing. And he took my hand and he led me to the window in the playroom. And we knelt down together in front of the window. And the sky was bright orange and pink and it was like fire. And we were watching its peak. And you could tell it was just about to slide into a regular blue sky, a regular morning. But we sat to watch its glory before it did. And after a few seconds of doing this, I looked at him and I said, how's your ear? So I turned my eyes away from this guy and said, how's your ear? And started touching his face. And he just kept looking at the sky and he pointed and he said, look, mama, look at that. And I did. I turned back to the sky. So grateful for my teacher next to me. I wish that... We didn't wait until there was a loss or a scare to feel the day and not hurry and rush to the checkpoints and retrace what isn't there anymore. The ear pain is gone. Look at the sunrise with me and try not to go backwards. I wish we could always have our hand on the essential stuff and know how to leave the rest by the side of the road. But coming to that, the way that we get to that is also really beautiful and often tragic and different for everyone. It's why people who have carried great loss and turmoil and sadness have in some ways a portal to a sweetness that you cannot get anywhere else except for that kind of heartbreak. The sweetest things, the marrow of connection lives and grows at the same places where great loss has occurred. I just want to, I want to send a, um, a special prayer to Ben, Karen's husband, who's closely carrying the weight of this loss and my, my heart breaks for him and to each of you who I know are carrying so much May we all have some time to relish this week and try and release the stories that are burdensome and on the outskirts and spend more time really looking at the sky.
and relishing that. Um, I will put Karen's website in the show notes. She was an incredibly talented artist. And also in the show notes um, is where you'll find the information on how to become a patron of this podcast and become an integral part of things that will help community. I always appreciate that support. Much love to all. Thank you so much for listening. Have a beautiful day.